Okay, thanks, Sterney. Um, as I said, I'm Chief Revenue Officer for Hub Security, um, a basically a company with literally a brilliant group of hardware and software engineers and tremendous expertise. We focus on protecting sensitive information. Um, so welcome to what I think will be a fascinating discussion. Um, I'd like to take my two minutes though. The reason I wanted to go first is to explain why we're holding this session and really just to put a basic definition of confidential computing out there. Um, so, you know, why did we convene a session that covers literally um, AI, 5G, Edge, IoT, and touches upon blockchain and quantum computing as well? I mean, they each have massive potential and are game changing by themselves. But the amount of information and processing power from these technologies is exploding. Um, 5G will bring the data faster. Um, IoT is going to bring more of it from new sources. Cloud, edge will bring computing everywhere it's needed. And quantum computing, perhaps a, a bit further out, um, will increase computing power to an almost incomprehensible level. And underneath it all is AI and machine learning kind of making sense of really this vast amount of information uh, to help us mere humans make sense of it. Um, but with that potential, um, as Spider-Man actually says, you know, comes great responsibility. Um, this rapid pace of new technology is kind of also bringing rapidly increasing security and privacy threats. So it really requires a whole new uh, cybersecurity approach. And so literally what are those security issues? Why is confidential computing mentioned as being critical to solving these? You know, and what are the various approaches to confidential um, computing? Um, so, so one, let me just give you kind of a high level definition, you know, of confidential computing and then kind of a, a brief example. Okay. One, there are really three pillars. Um, you kind of have, you're protecting data at rest. Um, you're protecting it in transit and, and in use. Um, so rest and transit are really kind of the traditional areas of security. Um, protecting um, data and the applications though, while they're being used, that's really uh, the tough part um, because you have the data in clear, you know, as you're computing it. And so a confidential computing, it's kind of a new approach. It isolates the data, isolates the entire application and puts it in a protective computing environment during the processing. Okay, and the only thing uh, that you could do is accessible only by authorized code. Um, not, you know, it's really invisible to everybody else along there. Um, so, you know, that's great, but what, you know, what's the big deal kind of about what else can you get out of the confidential computing? Why confidential computing? And the best thing I could do is let me just give you kind of one quick example. My favorite one has to do with kind of multi-party machine learning. Um, think about genetic information. It's likely by far the most literally personally identifiable information that we have and enormously sens sensitive. So if you take pharmaceutical companies or medical research uh, centers, for example, now they're going to run AI uh, machine learning on it for algorithms, but imagine if they can now share all of their uh, repositories of, of genetic information and they could run it on there, the power would be enormous. The challenge is it's all sensitive. And so none of the information from one medical center can actually be seen or viewed by the other medical center. And not even the algorithm can actually be touched or manipulated by any of them. 
So when you put them together, and, and by the way, even the operator not be able uh, to see any and touch any of this. So now you kind of get the benefit of them all being together um, and, and collaborative all information, but everyone is isolated and no one can actually see the others, but you get the value of the results coming from, from everything. And that's the huge, enormous benefit. And if you think about it, I'm sure everybody can think out there, there are so many multi-party um, examples across just about every industry. I was literally talking to somebody from the military before. There's a whole range just from there. Healthcare, finance um, has things about anti-money laundering and stuff that would have huge benefits across being able to do these kinds of things. Um, so finally, you know, that's one key aspect is kind of the multi-party data sharing. Um, general protection from cloud providers. You could put more sensitive information on there, just inside of threats from your own IT groups and really an increasing need to protect all of this information from um, applications that are processed, say, on the edge, coming in whether from IoT devices or anything else. Um, so I hope that kind of sets the stage a little bit and gives you some time. And I'll hand it back off kind of to Sterney to uh, introduce the first speaker and then we'll get into the discussion. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you, David. Okay, so because we have a lot to cover, uh, we're gonna move a bit quick. Uh, Bulan, do you want to start and introduce yourself and then Dr. Dutta and then our team? Yeah, sure. Thanks, uh, David and Sunny. All right, so hello, everyone. My name is Bulan Khan, and uh, I have been uh, in this uh, industry, IT industry, for over 20 years now, of which I have spent uh, initial 10 years in system integration projects, and the last 10 years have been um, in IT infrastructure advisory, consulting various different clients, um, uh, helping them with uh, helping the CIOs with their strategy roadmap uh, consulting, and also developing a lot of new uh, technology practices, um, like edge computing is one of them. I'm also a TOGAF certified enterprise architect and have worked across uh, multiple industry verticals uh, and enterprises uh, like financial services, healthcare, retail, manufacturing, uh, uh, with a lot of telcos uh, for actually a lot of global clients. And I am also the co-editor for Wipro's uh, State of IT Infrastructure 2020 report, which is actually first of its kind uh, neutral global research uh, and thought leadership report. Uh, it actually provides a comprehensive point of view across uh, the IT infrastructure domain, which is actually very relevant today. And if you all get a chance, please do glance through it. It's, it's available on the internet. I am also a distinguished member of technical staff and currently heading the 5G edge computing practice at Wipro. Uh, now our charter is to create new offerings. Uh, it is also to build uh, ecosystem and partnerships that is uh, like working with a lot of uh, edge uh, ecosystem players. Um, also to uh, uh, build and create the edge COE, um, monetize various IPs and use cases uh, which are around 5G and edge computing. So today's topic of discussion is actually very relevant to uh, the 5G and edge computing area, since we are seeing a lot of change in the architecture across enterprises, uh, like uh, from code to uh, cloud to edge. And as more and more data gets generated and processed at the edge, um, we, we see a need for securing the data. Uh, it becomes really uh, critical. So I would like to thank Hub Security for inviting me to this panel discussion on this very interesting topic and I look forward to a great interaction during the session. Thanks, and over to you, Sunny. Thank you, 
Great. Thank you so much, Bulan, for a wonderful introduction. I'm looking forward to hearing more from you. Uh, I think Dr. Ditta, you'll go next. Yes, Rani. Thank you very much. Hope you can all hear me. Uh, good morning, good day, good evening. And I know people from all over the world are here. I'm so glad to be part of this important uh, panel. Uh, I'd like to thank the Hub Security for inviting me and my co-panelists as well. Uh, so I work for Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Lab. I'm a chief 5G strategist. I also teach a course, uh, two courses actually, uh, 5G and wireless security at Johns Hopkins University in Maryland. Uh, prior to my job, uh, I uh, used to work for AT&T uh, in chief security office. Uh, so I had some um, experience in terms of how to build the requirement and get it deployed and make sure uh, you know, the end users are protected and network assets are protected. Uh, before that, I had a little bit uh, a startup stint as well, where I actually built a security monitoring system, uh, company called Nixon, based in New Jersey. And prior to that, um, I had spent about 13 years in uh, Bell Communication Research, uh, became Telcordia Research later on. Uh, I got a chance to do a little bit of research and development, uh, get involved in the standards bodies, you know, write papers, things like that. And then uh, prior to that, I was with Columbia University in New York City uh, uh, in computer science department. Uh, and I, I worked there full time. I did my part-time PhD while working. Uh, if some of you are uh, thinking about doing part-time PhD, let me know. I, I strongly encourage, but there are certain ways you have to get there. Uh, but it's worth it, uh, by the way. So my, I have been uh, working in the security area at least for last maybe 15, 20 years. Um, in the last seven to eight years, uh, when I started working for a security startup, I got involved in actually product development, how it can be deployed um, in operators network, for example, right? And then uh, study the end-to-end -end security requirements. So if you are, let's say when I was in AT&T, we're doing 4G LT networks, right? And now we started transitioning uh, to 5G and we started with SDN NFB, which is the software defined networking and network function virtualization, right? And um, so there is an interesting way to think about the security from the very get-go. You cannot wait until things are deployed, architected and think about security. That should not be the case. It was to happen right from the get-go and get the requirements, go to standards, build the stuff, uh, bring in the lab, go back and forth, do the iterative process. That's how security has to be embedded, right? Um, that's so important. And then, uh, you know, with Johns Hopkins, uh, we have started looking into other aspects of 5G, right? It is not only operator-centric. There are other verticals like education, public safety, agriculture, right? Um, there are various verticals, you know, I know AI, ML, we are talking about as an enabler. So 5G uh, compared to previous generation has a lot of new enablers and that will enable new emerging application. And we'll talk about that as we proceed. And um, so while we take advantage of these enablers like edge computing, you know, SDN NFB, um, your, uh, um, you know, other things like IML orchestration, automation analytics, um, uh, you know, open RAN, et cetera, uh, there are potential security issues, uh, opportunities as well, right? So new challenges and opportunities. So how do we take advantage of the opportunities that comes with it at the same time, what are the new challenges those are um, you know, exposed, right? How do we take care of that? Uh, how do you look at the risk mitigation? You know, do we have proper security controls or not, right? So those are important things we need to discuss. And uh, I, I guess this is an interesting platform. I'm uh, hoping to be uh, enjoying this and looking forward to your questions. Thank you. 
Okay, thank you, Dr. Detta. And Artie, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Hello, everybody. Hope you're all uh, keeping safe in these new and challenging times. And I really hope 2021 will be all positive and good. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come here, despite all that's going on during the holiday season. So my name is Aarti. I am a product leader, a technology speaker, and a voice of customer evangelist. I have over 20 years of experience in product management. And uh, initially, it started with financial applications and modeling around that, which in those days, we didn't have the AI bus. But later, it was very much applicable to uh, AI. And I've been in retail, as well as uh, in a startup, which tried to build an AI platform. I have launched V0 to V50 products uh, through various stages of development. I believe in the power of customer research, market research, and trying to get the solution to solve a real problem as opposed to just building technology for technology's sake. I'm very interested in this panel to approach it from a macro trend of how customers' are, um, needs are evolving with AIML workloads, as well as security needs around that. I am really excited to be here. Thank you for organizing um, Hub Security. Definitely, thank you, Artie. Um, so now that we got the introductions out of the way, uh, I'd like to jump, uh, jump into our discussion. Uh, and I have questions for all of you. I'm gonna shoot them off one by one. Um, if you have anything to add to another panelist's question, and once they're finished responding, feel free uh, to contribute and to share. Uh, we're gonna try to keep our responses to around three minutes and because um, we have a lot to cover and a lot to get through. And I'd like to keep some time for Q&A. So starting just uh, with Buland, um, I'd like to throw the first question at you, uh, which is how are enterprises currently preparing for the adoption of uh, 5G technology? And what are the primary cybersecurity challenges that need to be considered with its deployment? Yep, uh, okay, so thanks, Tony. I think that's a very interesting question. Um, let me, um, and start with the first part on the enterprise 5G adoption. Um, see, what we are seeing is as enterprises, uh, they continue to uh, rethink their connectivity and accelerate their digital transformation journey, right? We actually are seeing them um, investing in 5G networks with a specific focus on driving a few things like uh, digitization um, or accelerating their IoT adoption and also kind of harnessing uh, innovative techniques so that they can deliver uh, enterprise connectivity. Um, they can also kind of improve the productivity and increase uh, their operational efficiencies. Now, uh, the other thing that we are seeing um, owing to this growth of IoT and uh, development of smart city initiatives, then uh, your smart homes, smart industries, we are seeing that 5G has a key role to play um, and it has a potential to offer reliable, high performance kind of solutions, right? Um, and uh, uh, especially business and mission critical applications for the enterprise uh, 5G. Uh, they will include uh, um, a private network deployment kind of uh, uh, scenario and also use cases uh, which are specifically vertical or industry focused. So for, for example, use case in the healthcare domain or use case specific to financial services or media and education. Uh, 
there are a lot of use cases which are being worked out for energy and utilities uh, for critical infrastructure uh, monitoring management and things like that uh, for industry 4.0 uh, for transportation or logistics and fleet management so there are a variety of use cases which enterprises are exploring which are around 5g right and which uh, uh, through which they could exploit the benefits of 5g uh, as we say like uh, ultra low latency and uh, enhanced mobile broadband uh, uh, which is ultra high speed bandwidth and uh, massive machine to machine communication right and uh, these we uh, believe are just the beginning of the 5g digital economy right um, which is actually going to be a, a hyper connected world um, and full of possibilities um so that's the first part on the second part of the question um uh, said so the primary cyber security challenges right um, now, as 5G becomes more popular, uh, the adoption rate of 5G enabled private network and uh, some kind of a software defined WAN will also increase significantly. Now, enterprises would uh, also implement variety of use cases, as, as I mentioned, right, uh, which would leverage edge computing, right? So to, uh, for these use cases to be successful, edge computing is going to be really critical. And 5G would also present more security risk, right? So as uh, Dr. Datta mentioned, right? And hackers would be uh, able to exploit flaws in the 5G network as well. Now with 5G, uh, a lot of numerous different kind of heterogeneous devices would be connected, right? Right from your conventional devices used in um, enterprises to IoT devices, which are used in OT kind of uh, scenarios, right? Or use cases and also in commercial environments. Uh, now this would kind of increase the um, um, attack um, and uh, yes and as the these devices uh, these are as we've seen right in a, a lot of these attacks and uh, media as well these are kind of often vulnerable to attacks and organizations will have to actually invest more in securing this right from they will have to invest in securing the data right they will have to invest more for the vulnerability management uh, to increase those kind of capabilities uh, so that they are able to prevent such attacks um, and to tackle uh, 5G related security challenges, right? So businesses, both businesses, enterprises, and uh, network operators also, the telcos, uh, we believe should adopt a security model, which is actually similar to the public cloud security model, right? So where they are uh, segregating between sensitive, non-sensitive data and things like that. So that is one of the traditional approach. Now, a con conventional security approach may not offer adequate uh, data security, um, uh, especially when the usage would increase. Therefore, uh, what we believe is organization will need to seek scalable and automated security solutions uh, with AI and ML kind of a powered uh, threat de detection. And uh, it also has a uh, response capabilities. So that is what I, I, I can think of uh, the need. Yeah, thank you, Vuland, uh, and I think maybe um, Dr. Dutta can expand for us a bit on, um, build on what you just shared, um, and maybe tell us a bit about what 5G cybersecurity will look like and um, how its security will differ from previous generations. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, I also wanted to tell, uh, I serve as a co-chair for IEEE uh, future network initiative where uh, we have about you know 15 different working groups like you're talking about roadmap right uh, you know one of the working group is uh, security we're looking in three year five year ten year how the security question is going to look like right look at the current 
landscape, how it's going to show up in five years and 10 years. So if, if you're interested, please uh, look into the future networks, IEEE.org. But just to answer your question, uh, Trani, um, you know, think about when we have to think about security, before even we get there, uh, think about how 5G technology is different than the previous generation 3G or 4G, right? If you look at the history uh, evolution, um, you know, starting with 2G, when we got into digital, you had GSM and then CDMA from Qualcomm, and finally 4G was born around 2010, right? 3GPP started developing the architecture. And most of the previous generation have been ramping the bandwidth, right? Few bits per second, kilobit to megabit. And if you look at the 5G, it added additional components like, uh, well, we have massive bandwidth with the high uh, bandwidth, but massive sensing, massive control, uh, massive reliability. I think Bilan just talked about, you know, probability or, you know, how reliable this is. And uh, this can be possible because of different types of enablers, right? And some of the enablers I can think of is, if you want to have a network reliable, programmable, flexible, you need to have software-defined networking, network function virtualization, right? Uh, if you want to have, uh, to give proper end-to-end -end quality of service, uh, 5G added things like network slicing, right? Uh, if you want to have uh, orchestration automation, ease of that, you added virtualization, right? Or orchestration. Uh, Bulan talked about ultra low latency. If you want to support that, you have to add edge cloud or you know, cloud computing. Uh, people have started putting the orchestration even in the RAN, the radio access network. How can you make it uh, cloudify, right? And there are other things with AI, ML, things like predictive security, supply chain security, and you know data security, privacy, etc. They're also coming. So I, I call it more like uh, pillars of 5G uh, security. And then on top of that, open source, uh, API, microservice, right? So if you look at the old 5G core, uh, it's is going towards microservice-based, service-based architecture. You know, we're getting rid of protocols like diameter, using HTTP, REST API, JSON, those kind of things, right? Things becoming more granular. So you, um, you have to open up end-to-end, -end, look at all the interfaces, and think about these additional, um, I should, I should say enablers that we are adding and what are the risks are getting added because of that, right? If I'm putting an SDN controller or I'm doing virtualization, what are the potential risks associated with those, right? We need to look at those challenges. So, you know, in a nutshell, you still have to take care of the traditional networking, like putting firewalls, you know, proper uh, multi-factor authentication, things like that, but you're adding these additional knobs uh, to take advantage of the 5G. So what are the potential security issues in each of those? We have to you know, do a complete threat taxonomy, look it up, open up the interface, look at the potential sources of attacks and think about potential challenges and opportunities. I just stay there. Yeah, I think that was a good summary, uh, just a really brief summary. Um, thank you, doctor. Um, my next question is for Artie. Uh, it would be great maybe if you could give uh, some of our listeners a bit of background on federated data. What is it and how will it be used? You, you'll need to unmute yourself. I'm sorry, it's also a good segue into the chat question, which comes about the missing data. So let me first answer that and then jump into federated data. 
as we know for AI workloads, data is very critical and it's garbage in, garbage out. So when there is missing data, there are many ways and there's a whole area of research around how to train models without data. But um, in short, the answer for that would be you could either do like use a mean value or a zero value or a median value for that, or you could use a random value. Um, and for uh, the other option is you can actually use predicted values for something which is missing. So that um, kind of solves that question. So now on to federated data. Given people's data is very, very sensitive, there is two types of um, security for uh, data. The first one I would say is in terms of modeling is differential privacy, uh, which is another form rather than federated um, data. So when, you, you, when your models need data which is anonymized or sensitive medical data, one option people use is they, they add noise to the data so that you don't know who it is um, or which, where it's coming from before modeling on it. And so that is more in the field of differential privacy. Whereas the federated data is instances where you cannot modify the data and you need to take it as it is for your models. A great example is your um, is Google's phone. If anybody's using the Android um, type instance, each one is typing and you're getting your own personalized model um, for updating that completion of typing. So now the data, what you type is very secure. It's, it belongs to you and it stays on your phone, but the model is updated based on that federation on each of the phones which is then consolidated and sent to Google so they can update the model again for better improvement. So each of us owns our own data in our own, um, for lack of a better word here, enclaves or in our own devices here. And then you're sharing that, um, the model is learning from that. And if the user opts to share it to improve the general good, then you're getting an updated model. This concept of customer owning the data and having um, a centralized model is, is also giving rights to hardware. Um, you know, David talked about like the homomorphic, um, he'll talk about it as well as like the whole enclave mechanisms of hardware separation and security, right? So it becomes even more important when you have more devices that need to talk to each other, but you don't want to bring the data centrally. So the federated data is the ability to keep these data separate without the um, model actually knowing much about the data and protecting its privacy and security. And what do you think, uh, what do you believe that uh, the role of federated uh, data will be in the future of AI development? I think it is very important. Um, I have worked in healthcare applications and one of the biggest thing is the HIPAA privacy and which it should be, right? I don't want my medical records hanging around in the cloud or uh, in the hands of a developer. So when you have this type of ability to secure your data and just still get benefit from the model, um, I think more sensitive problems will start using it, more healthcare, research will happen um, in, in terms of you having this type of access to federated uh, data. Great, thank you. Um, and I have one, uh, one other question for you. Um, 
which is related to edge computing, which I know is also part of your background. Um, so maybe you can share with us a bit about what the current trends are in edge computing and how they relate to Shopify. Sure. Um, so if you start talking at the macro level um, in terms of cloud was um, initially we had like installation of applications and doing it on premise. Then we had the cloud. And now you have another version, which is um, AWS, for example, launched Outposts, which is giving you your own data center and co-located data center on your premise, right? And then the other piece of that, which is literally having computing at your uh, on your device without getting to the cloud, and um, that is the innovation in edge computing. So an example in retail would be like there's retail cameras in the warehouse and I'm not comfortable sharing the data to, uh, to any cloud provider. And I want to have all my models on identifying pilferage or um, you know, some kind of inconsistencies in the warehouse. The camera has to have all the, um, it has to have all the models and all the technology for doing the manipulation at the edge. And it has to be done at, at speed. Um, as we all know, another example is the, um, is the ADAS, which is the, the automated um, drive, self-driving cars, which is another big research area in the edge computing field as well. So one of the things as more and more move to the edge, there is in general, a big demand for chips. There's a big demand for like um, more investment in chips like Intel bought Habana. There are other companies which uh, are investing in these homomorphic chips or chips which have the ability to think like a human at the edge. So that is one of the things I see where there's more acquisition and investments in the, um, in the chips area. And in general, McKinsey is predicting that the, there'll be like 15% more increase in um, hardware spend in data centers across irrespective of whether it's in the edge or in the, uh, or in the cloud by 2025. And, and that's actually like a revival in some sense of making hardware cool again, um, if you think about it. And the second, yeah. So the second thing is the, when you take a chip at the edge, you, you, you know, you're literally bringing computer into your, into your hand, right? So you have memory, you have networking, you have compute potential. So there will be investment in all the three areas of how you can um, do something quicker in, at, the, at the tips of your finger. So I would think there will be like low cost um, compute chips where that will be, um, whether it's, it's bringing a model onto your chips like DNNs on chips or um, spiking neural networks on chips. Those are all things where we expect these big machines to be to be running these compute, um, you know, compute intensive uh, jobs. But you're actually thinking about how do I bring that back to the edge and uh, have those models on chips. And finally, like I said, the networking is another big aspect of it. So it's not just your device. So if each of us is, um, you know, carrying our own edge devices or like each of us is driving our own um, self-driving cars, those have to talk to each other, right? Like, so one device has to be able to talk to the other device on the edge and having this mesh kind of network where you're able to communicate is another trend I, I think will, uh, will happen around the uh, edge computing. Definitely, and thank you for those insights, Artie. 
Um, I think Bulan probably can uh, expand a bit on some of the security challenges that are related to edge computing. Yeah, sure, Stanley. Um, um, I think, yeah, so I, I kind of agree with uh, Aarti. So uh, we are seeing a lot of uh, requirements uh, from a lot of customers globally. Uh, and also a lot of telcos, uh, we started consulting a lot of telcos around edge computing and help them define their edge computing roadmap and strategy and things like that. And as I mentioned earlier, um, the success of 5G, right, uh, it will be majorly driven by the use cases, right? Um, and, um, and, and actually it's adoption um, by the enterprise, right? And also uh, from the consumer's perspective, right? And edge is going to be really critical um, to realize these 5G capabilities. Uh, as Aarti mentioned, right, it would be, it would actually help to enable faster insights, right? So if some action uh, has to take place at the edge, right? So the data has to be processed and it had to be uh, acted in real time, right? Now edge in a lot of scenarios can also be used uh, to perform offline operations, right? So it is not that uh, the edge has to be connected uh, all the time. Um, so it can also perform offline operations. So what it means is that there has to be some applications and data, uh, uh, some part of the data, which can ideally be stored on the edge. So for it to perform the offline operations, right? Now, since by definition, edge computing is not centralized, right? So the edge of network uh, deployment can be in uh, exposed locations, right? Uh, so uh, when you talk about edge, uh, there are a lot of different type of edge and we are, we are still discovering, right? So uh, there is near edge, far edge, uh, a device edge, enterprise edge, and now we have public cloud extension edge and third party edge and things like that. But uh, specifically talking about uh, the um, far edge, right? So like cell towers or the enterprise edge um, or the edge which could be placed at remote location for different kind of use cases. So for example, let's say for a oil refinery, there could be a edge which is placed across the uh, miles away uh, in remote location and uh, which are not actively monitored and uh, it is not as secure as a traditional data center, right? Because there's no one to uh, to take care of your edge, right? So uh, what we believe is with edge computing, the importance of data encryption is actually magnified. Um, now due to the fact that um, edge computing deployments might not have the same kind of physical security uh, like we discussed, right, in traditional cloud deployments or a traditional data center kind of thing. Now an attacker could potentially steal a hard drive also from a remote location, or they could uh, also plug in a USB key um, to uh, access the data. Now we were consulting one of the uh, telcos a few months ago, and they had exactly the same problem. So they were kind of exploring, should we put a lock uh, in the compute edge node or a physical lock, or should we kind of uh, put some HSM modules and things like that? Now that is not feasible, right? Putting a lock is still okay, but putting HSM modules and things like that, managing all those things, it's not practically possible. And across various different locations, right? Uh, and especially uh, Dr. Datta spoke about ORAN uh, kind of scenarios, right? So with 5G and due to the nature of spectrum of 5G, there would be high network densification and disaggregation on network. So which means now if we have thousands of these cells our sites, tomorrow it is going to be 10X. Now, how are you going to manage the security across all these 10X sites, right? So it is going to be a major nightmare. Now, the other risk uh, with edge computing is that 
the traffic is generally flowing over untrusted uh, public network, uh, which is also kind of can pose a high risk. Um, and what we are also seeing across the industry, there are not well-defined process uh, in place uh, to deal with these kind of regular patching and emergency security issues, right? And uh, given that the edge computing, as Arthi spoke about, right, it can potentially involve a large number of distributed and heterogeneous devices, right? So edge, when we say it is not just a hardware, right? So it could be a device uh, and device could be of any nature. It could be a IoT gateway. It could be actually x86 server. It could be uh, a device edge as well, right? Someone spoke about a mobile or a tablet, right? Then you might have other different platforms or operating system, um, which are part of the edge, the hypervisors uh, itself, the containers. Uh, now, a lot of uh, these applications are built uh, based on microservices architecture, right? Um, then uh, the applications which needs to be deployed on the edge uh, so that it can act, right, uh, for uh, providing real-time insights. There are a lot of API uh, which are getting developed. So how do you secure all of them, right? So the batching and data security of these components uh, can pose a uh, different kind of risk. Uh, so one of the top challenge for edge computing, uh, uh, which we believe is actually a lack of common security framework uh, today. Right? And in my view, there is a need for, um, for consensus of um, on best practices for edge computing and also a uh, well-defined security framework, which can take care of uh, these these uh, risk and mitigate them. Definitely, I think I see a lot of nodding heads. Um, I think that um, there's general consensus around this um, that there's a lack of uh, direction and, um, and uh, a need for an outline about uh, the real challenges that we have ahead of us. Um, so I'm just going to follow up uh, on some of the security challenges that you've outlined. Um, in what ways do you? Do you see confidential computing helping us overcome um, some of the security challenges that are related to edge computing um, and as well as uh, cloud security? Okay, okay. Uh, okay, okay. So I think, uh, uh, okay, so we are all seeing, right? So data uh, is getting generated um, all across, right? And it's, it's the new oil and it is also the most important asset uh, and protecting sensitive sensitive data in all its kind uh, and all its states is uh, actually have become more critical than ever. Now, organizations that handle sensitive data, like there could be organizations in the financial services, like uh, credit card data, or in the healthcare, as Arthi uh, mentioned, right? Now, their information need to, uh, I mean, this health information or credit card data information, it uh, needs to mitigate threats. Uh, that target the confidentiality and integrity of uh, either the application or the data in system memory. Now, today, if you talk about the existing security or the traditional security, uh, we uh, we um, say that uh, data is often encrypted at rest, right? Which is actually in the storage or in transit, uh, which is uh, across the network, but not while in use or in memory, right? So it is really important, uh, I think, um, so with these kind of new technology trends coming in like edge computing, it is really important to protect uh, sensitive data, even while it is in use uh, by enabling uh, 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 confidential computing and extend edge and cloud computing benefits uh, to these kind of sensitive workloads uh, in my view. So basically uh, what, I, uh, what we believe is uh, this confidential computing, it can protect data in use by performing um, 
computation in hardware based uh, trusted execution environment i think david spoke about it um, so which are uh, basically to secure and isolate environments uh, it is also uh, it can also help to prevent uh, unauthorized access or modification of applications and data when they are actually in use so when uh, these kind of uh, encryption confidentially uh, confidential computing is actually used along or together with data encryption at rest and in transit um, it would offer execute exclusive controls of keys um, and it could also eliminate uh, uh, barriers of moving sensitive data or data which is highly regulated right uh, so which has to meet certain compliance um and also uh, application workloads which are uh, flexible from today's on premise which is kind of inflexible to a more flexible and modern uh, either to the edge or cloud cloud platforms right so i think confidential computing uh, it could enable uh, end to end security encryption uh, for data at rest um, data in transit and also the data which is in use and thereby increasing the security level of uh, organizations and enterprises and increasing their uh, trust levels as well yeah chani i would also add to that uh, to what bolander said uh, some of the important points he said about having a consortium there is an effort um, called like confidential computing uh, consortium where it it could be at different layers right like the security could be at your hardware layer um where it's your keys are secure and um encapsulated there or it could be at the hypervisor layer or or more at the container layer so there's no um standard saying this is the best architecture for your particular application so it's good to see that there is a consortium and they started working on it with the linux uh, linux foundation and um trying to get this to market soon like for open governance um and and you can see that there is um is it's still in like research i would say in some sense where there's no winner saying this uh, if you only do it in the hardware enclaves that's the successful path as opposed to only doing it at the containers that's the successful path so it's it's still like up um in the air but i i'm glad like uh, we are starting to talk about it soon yes thank you i've heard about this project as well um excited to see what comes out of it um thank you both and bulant and rg uh, i would like to um, ask another question to dr uh, data um i as there um as there already is an inbuilt security measures for um uh, that organizations can take advantage of um um when it comes to their 5g cybersecurity um what are some that you that you would uh, recommend to uh, organizations to explore and to look into um and uh, what um which ones exist already that um can be used and leveraged yeah sure um i think you know i'm enjoying the discussion by the way uh, rt and villan um this is very interesting you know we are you're really giving a deep view of what's going on and uh, we are just scratching the surface by the way you know we should have multiple of these panel discussions so um when uh, to answer your question sarni um you, when you look at a evolution of a new technology right uh, you have to think about whether glass is half full or half empty right you cannot you have to look at both sides so you look at the 5g and beyond security you branch it off right and and see okay 
And one side is glass is half empty. That means, you know, I have lots of new challenges coming up. I'm adding new enablers, new characteristics, MIMO, uh, you know, millimeter wave uh, on, on the RAND side. I'm virtualizing stuff. I'm adding network slicing, SDN and MP, et cetera, right? So that are potentially, or as computing, and Bulan talked nicely about as computing, and so as Arti, uh, some of the challenges I need to take care of. But at the same time, when you look at glasses half full, um, it does provide some pipe generable security. And, and I, I, I call them opportunities in terms of you know, providing resiliency. And I'll give you know, some example, maybe one or two example, um, lack of time. Um, so if you, I call it security as a service. And if you try to put this together and either there is a denial of service attack happening either on a control plane or data plane, uh, you know, the billions of devices trying to connect. Um, either they're uh, malware infected, botnet type attacks, they might be sending lots of lots of attached requests in terms of IoT devices, for example, or they might have uh, malware infected, sending lots of traffic and jogging up the bandwidth and doing lots of bad things on my network assets. And things can happen from roaming providers, from Wi-Fi, uh, from the internet side, right? And we can do a complete threat analysis but uh, so that's one type of overwhelming the network assets, right? The other thing could be um, real performance related overloading. So these kind of things happen. How can we take advantage of uh, these characteristics, things like data analytics? Uh, you have an orchestration, you know, let's say on app from Linux Foundation, Open Manor from Etsy. Uh, you have this SDN controller that has the ability uh, to program the switches, routers, firewalls um, on the fly, right? Uh, and then uh, you, ha you have this security functions, either it could be intrusion detection system or um, intrusion prevention system, or you know, some kind of a uh, security monitoring from different um, vendors. And traditionally, since we moved away from the monolithic proprietary systems, you can really buy this um, security function or virtual security function from different vendors and dynamically service chain that, right? So, and this is one opportunity where uh, if you see there is an attack happening, how quickly you detect and how quickly you figure out what kind of attack is the TCP attack or SIP attack, or RTP attack, or from where it is coming from, figure out the details. Then you have the ability to program these uh, firewalls on the fly, right? So in a way you have this closed loop automation and depending on where do you want to put it, do you want to put it in the RAN to do the edge security detection? Do you want to put it in the edge? Or do you want to put it in the core, right? How quickly you want to detect and mitigate. So that's just one example of how you can take advantage of security function virtualization, SDN, and um, you know, do some kind of a security, uh, you know, detect and mitigate quickly enough, right? Um, and I talked about this is mostly on reactive security. You can still take advantage of the predictive security by using some kind of AI ML uh, techniques, looking at the behavioral patterns of zero trust type uh, attack, zero day attacks, right? Before even attack happens, you know it's going to happen, you stop it. So that's one specific advantage. That means the resiliency, scaling up the network, scaling down the network. Uh, if there is an attack taking place, I think people call it um, uh, recover fast, resolve next. What you can do both things at the same time. So when the attack is taking place, you still want to provide the quality of service to the other people. So you have the ability to scale up and scale down the resources while you are figuring out who is attacking it and, and mitigating it, right? So that's um, one advantage of the, uh, you know, some of the things you put together. 
And if I, again, I, I know we have lack of time, but you can do the same thing going over some of those cloud RAN, for example, if you're doing open RAN type uh, deployment, um, your opportunities are like you are increasing the programmability, right? You can embed your DDoS detection mitigation uh, functionality at the edge. Uh, you can do dynamic resource scheduling, um, correlation of control plane, data plane traffic, you can do it right at the edge, right? So those are some of the opportunities that come with uh, uh, open RAN. And similarly, you know, I, I know we talked a lot about the edge computing. Uh, edge computing itself also provides some inbuilt security, right? You can embed security monitoring at the edge. And I know my previous speakers talked about, uh, you know, I call it side channel attacks, right? Um, if can I detect them because things are getting virtualized or containerized? Um, you know, if I'm handing over from one edge cloud to another edge cloud, how can I reduce the latency by having proper security mechanism, right? Um, so that's something to do with the mobile edge cloud. And similarly, you know, if you go further with slicing, uh, slicing itself uh, gives you some kind of a granularity of security, right? You have priority service, you can put them in one slice and non-priority type, non-mission critical, you can put them in a different slice. So that way, in a way you're providing some kind of a security demarcation uh, by, by doing, you know, putting a different type of application, different slices, but that also exposes some uh, challenges with slicing, you know, one slice, one UE may be connected to multiple slices, you know, slicing incursionation attacks, uh, things like that. And then, you know, think about, I'll give another example of SDN controller, right? So SDN controller, obviously, um, you know, it provides the resiliency. I spoke about programmability, uh, adaptability, uh, it, you know, can do service and different security functions, but then what are the potential risks associated with that, right? You are dealing with northbound API, southbound API. Uh, can somebody do protocol fudging attack? Can somebody, uh, you know, do impersonation attacks. So whole SDN controller can be completely overwhelmed with bogus requests to uh, you know, control the firewalls, routers, et cetera. I mean, I just give like four different examples. You can think about similarly with API security, open source, um, you know, supply chain security, what other things you need to think about there. Um, I think I'll just leave it there for lack of time. I, I know Arthi uh, Blan they talked about virtualization a little bit, you know, with hypervisor, uh, what are the potential risks there? Uh, you need to uh, think about what are the uh, potential mitigation techniques, you know, while virtualization gives us the ability to uh, put multiple multi-tenant type application on the same common of the self hardware, right? Um, how do we take care of uh, uh, the VM to VM attack, right? Or application attacking a VM, or they call it VNF catalog, right? Where there are multiple VMs and you're orchestrating VMs, putting different placer placement of VNFs. Uh, so some of those we, again, these are mostly on API-based attacks that we have to think about. Yes, I, I'll leave it there. I know, Shani, we, we need to move on, right? So. Uh... Yeah, I think that was super fascinating. I just wanted to hear this talk to you. And I think that at the end of the day, I'm here to discuss cybersecurity and these are some really helpful tips, I think, um, that many. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, I, I just want to, you know, maybe a last thought I'd like to say, uh, at some point of the time, um, I don't know if you have any specific question for me, um, there are certain, some kind of a best security practice and getting involved in the uh, consortium forums that Arti mentioned uh, is important to have collaboration among researchers, practitioners, uh, operators, vendors, application developers, right? 
And, and when, you, when you look at the network, like 5G network, let's say, open it up, there are so many different interfaces. We look at the 3GPP document, there are about 30, 40 different interfaces, like N1, N2, like that. And these are all microservice based, but most of them are HTTP, REST API stuff, right? Um, so you really need to open it up, do a threat taxonomy, look at the points of attacks that might come uh, uh, from different parts of the network. And then you create some kind of a threat taxonomy, um, see, put them in a different kinds of uh, uh, attack category, like uh, the loss of availability or loss of confidentiality, integrity, uh, loss of control, malicious insider, I think David talked about it, theft of service. And you put them in category and then see if I'm a hacker, how do I go and do bad things? Can I plot an interface? Can I cross a network element? Can I do some kind of a, um, uh, fudging attack uh, or some something in my uh, code that might just completely knock down the HSAs. So you think about that then uh, in terms of attack, you see how can I do that? Can I send lots of lots of attached requests? Uh, or can I do um, man in the middle attack and chain the SIP headers to uh, make it look like coming from somebody else, right? How many different you know, things like that. Yeah, and then come up with a mitigation technique and look at the controls you have and look at the risk factor. You come up with a risk factor. What is the risk uh, uh, if this happened? And then you augment your control, right? This has to be an iterative process. I think uh, that's what is important. Definitely, and I think that's why these topics are so complex and because there's so many verticals and factors to take into consideration. Um, and that's why uh, we're, we're glad that you guys can make it here today and discuss these topics with us, and it's super crucial. Um, we have uh, just a bit of time left before we head to Q&A. So just a reminder for our audience, if you have questions, now is the time. Uh, put them in the Q&A section and we will get to them very soon. Um, David, my next question is for you. Thank you so much, Dr. Data. Uh, my next question is for you, David. Uh, we hear about different approaches um, when it comes to confidential computing, um, such as homomorphic encryption. Can you clarify what some of those approaches are for the layman? Uh, sure. Well, I'm glad I kept awareness that the camera was on because I like, think I switched to an attendee. I was just uh, listening carefully. I, I was making some notes. I probably have a thousand more questions even for the other people over here um, for another time. Um, so yeah, some of the things that I was gathering even, and, and I'll keep this fairly short, we've covered a decent number of them, is one, it's extremely dependent on kind of the use case as well. So we even saw the edge computing. Um, I forget who it was listed, you know, four different kinds of, of uh, IoT types of devices. You know, there's from industrial to consumer. So there's kind of a tiered approach as well. I've seen, you know, use cases where, hey, you might do some IT, you know, AI on the factory floor for the industrials, and then you're gonna come for several different groups and roll it up into the cloud and do a whole nother level. Now, some of the edge things need to be able to scale that way. So you may end up needing, you know, looking at different approaches, um, but to summarize, you know, um, some that I've heard is obviously homomorphic, which is kind of encrypting, and there's pros and cons of each. Um, for large amounts of data, I don't think homomorphic necessarily scales at this stage of the game. Obviously, there's a ton of, of work going on in those areas. Um, Chip manufacturers like Intel's SGX, which is really kind of a homomorphic approach. Um, people are hardening the chip um, from that perspective. 
Um, there's federated we've heard about, which is really fascinating, you know, how the data kind of stays in place and then reaches it out. Um, but one thing, um, you know, the, and then there's kind of the whole platform of kind of integrating the whole thing and putting it together, you know, um, a secure platform. It may not necessarily use um, a secure chip, but it may be able to, um, which is kind of, by the way, one approach that we take um, is to look at it. How do you encrypt, make sure the data that's coming in is encrypted, the data that's stored is encrypted, and how do you protect and yet scale um, the amount of information that you're processing? So I'd say there's, there's a whole range of different approaches in here. Um, and I'll, I'll leave it at that because I think each one of them could probably add an hour and a half to each of those. Um, again, and I'll leave it at that other than to say, you know, let's take a look at each of the use cases as well, because I think that in and of itself would be fascinating. Is there any resource or um, place where people can get more information um, on a topic like this? I mean, there are a ton of places, and, and, and I want to keep this more, um, in a sense, educational than, than product-centric. Um, well, one, certainly from the people on this panel, you could get more information. Um, that, <laughs> that, that I'm certain of. Um, and it's starting, if you start, look, you'll see, you'll see different places. Uh, of course, we'd be more than happy to discuss our approach with you, you know, um, from that perspective. Um, I think we have an enormous amount of expertise in this area as well. Um, and as I said, we look at it kind of as one whole platform, but there, there's a whole range of, of areas along here. Um, so yeah. that's where I would really say is feel free. If, you, if you're uncertain, contact us. We'd love to talk to you about it. Um, and I'll just leave it, you know, real brief at that as I would say the people on here are, are phenomenal experts in this as well. And um, Thank you, David. Actually, if you'd like, um, one thing we didn't hear about too much is what Hub Security is doing in this space. So uh, if you want, you can briefly explain what Hub has to offer in regard to 5G and cloud computing cybersecurity. Okay, so I'll take 30 seconds since we respond to the seminar just to give you the little bit of the sales pitch. Um, but I'll literally keep it to like 30 seconds for now. Um, what we've essentially done is we've taken what an existing um, concept is a hardware security module, which deals with an extremely secure environment for managing your crypto keys and all your crypto services. We've merged that with kind of a secure computing platform so that what we end up with is an extremely secure platform um, that scales to be able to handle all sorts of computing power and um, also security power and, and AI and to be able to run the actual application too. Our belief is don't separate the data from the computing, from the keys and from the crypto. Keep it every time it leaves an environment, you now have an area of exposure. And so we've merged those two concepts together into one extremely secure, what we call ball platform that has isolated hardware enclaves, secure enclaves in each of the areas. That's what enables us to protect the, the uh, applications and the data that's, that are running, not permit anybody else, if, we, if we're sharing the data to see it, not even permitting the operator to actually see it. And we've put in a whole range of, computing mechan of security mechanisms inside there from secure hardware um, firewalls um, to prevent data from uh, checking the data coming in and out, um, be able to run full-scale um, artificial, you know, machine learning algorithms, protect those particular algorithms as well. Um, and kind of one area which didn't 
come up with as well is from uh, make it quantum ready. In other words, there's a point in time where people are stealing your data now and in five years when quantum computing can handle it, they're going to act, they'll decrypt it at that stage in time. And so it's important to think ahead is whatever you're putting in place, how do you deal with that to start protecting and thinking about protecting that information even at this stage in time. Um, so that's kind of um, in a nutshell, kind of the platform um, that we have extremely scalable, secure environment. And that's how we did it. We've literally merged the whole concept of a secure module with actually a secure computing platform. Um, that was it. I won't get too much more into the sales piece, but hopefully more than happy to discuss that with people further. Yes. David, uh, one thing I would say is, I know in your intro, you talked about blockchain. We can't talk, uh, end the topic yeah. on security without talking about that, right? And so with, uh, it's been getting a lot of, initially a lot of bad rep about how much power it, the chips consume. And, and so if you have more breakthroughs with quantum computing and also like thinking about private blockchains, um, that would be something on top of the encryption, which your um, homomorphic encryption where your data is not exposed at all and it's encrypted even in compute, um, you can have the ability with um, private blockchains for corporations to do much more and effectively if it's sensitive data. So essentially in summary, people don't need to worry about um, that much the, uh, the, the purism of of implementing blockchain in its original way, but take the concepts which resonate and and combine it with um, with folks like Hub and in, in terms of making it more secure. Yeah, good good point. And it's getting the data onto the blockchain as well. Um, multiple aspects of that. You're right. I mean, that's actually to be a whole nother separate topic on blockchain and, and security as well. Uh, but thanks. Anyone else would like to add something to that? No, I, I think um, I'd like to just echo what David said. Uh, the hardware security is uh, very, very important, right? You can knock it down right there. So anything we can do to improve that hardware security is definitely a welcome change. Um, you know, hardware security, physical layer security, these are becoming very important. Thank you, Dr. Data. Um, so we're really short on time. Maybe we will just um, pass the Q&A, maybe I'll ask you guys one more question and get, get your input on it. Um, and then we'll wrap everything up. Um, in terms of best security practices related to 5G deployment, what are, what are your recommendations? We can um, start with Dr. Brett, if anyone else has anything to add. Um, feel free to jump in and um, we have another 10 minutes before the Zoom cuts out, so. I mean, I, I will start a little bit, then I'll give others to speak as well as um, I've been telling, answering some of the questions you asked me. Um, it is important to uh, analyze the end-to-end -end network. That means you start with your handset, your application, including operating system, everything, and, and look at how a whole 5G ecosystem looks like, right? I mean, you have, over the air using new radio, um, millimeter wave type communication, you know, sometimes sub six gigahertz, MIMO type, um, you know, steering, antenna steering um, technique. Then you have lots of, lot of, lots of these G node Bs because of densification of cell. And then you have this whole, uh, you know, front hall, mid hall, back hall type because of the edge computing. 
as cloud. Then you get into the core where you have a data plane, control plane, user plane. And so, and then you see where the types of attack may happen, you know, in the control plane, data plane, man in the middle attack, um, side channel attacks, API based attacks, right? And then uh, you look at that, then you put them in a, I call it taxonomy and look at, the, look at the opportunities, what are the challenges, look at your controls, what you have. At the same time, it's so important to get involved in the, um, you know, the consortiums, uh, 3GPP, IEEE, um, NGM, and there are, there are many open source, I, I don't know, we didn't talk about those, there are many open source community out there, I know Linux Foundation is one of them, um, you know, OPNFV, open air interface on the SDN controller side, you open daylight owners, et cetera, open run alliance coming up. Um, so it's important to know what's going on there, internet engineering task force, GPP, HC, IEEE, um, and then uh, this open source community. And finally, the important thing is to have access to a test beds, right? There are people are building the private test bed. Even in the United States, National Science Foundation has built four different 5G test bed based on open source in New York City, Salt Lake City, um, North Carolina, and they're building another rural broadband. So getting involved in those consortium where you can really try to do some proof of concept based on a specific use case uh, are important. Only then you can see how things are working, right? It is not only architecture PowerPoint slide, you have to make sure it actually works. And then, you know, go back, things do not work, go back to standards and ratify that, you know, that, that will be my um, kind of suggestion, right? Yeah. Go ahead, please, other panelists, if you have something to add. Yeah. Yeah, um, I can go next. I Okay, so I think uh, great point of view, uh, Dr. Datta. Uh, so I would like to highlight uh, majorly on the edge computing side, right? The area that I am working on. And as I mentioned, right? So there could be various uh, different kind of edge uh, that I spoke about and um, different kind of uh, devices, right? And it could be heterogeneous um, edge. Uh, so right from the device, OS, containers, applications, APIs, and things like that. Dr. Dutta already spoke about the uh, data plane, control plane, security, and things like that, right? Uh, now, what uh, since there are uh, uh, potentially a lot of uh, these different kind of devices within the edge ecosystem and the 5G ecosystem, which is still evolving, right? Uh, what is most important, according to me, um, is the visibility um, across all these uh, devices, right? So, how do you implement uh, visibility and control from a security perspective across all these uh, devices, right? Uh, the second thing is uh, how do you kind of uh, do a threat correlation, okay, uh, across these different devices as well, right? So that's that's also important. Um, third thing is uh, even in uh, Edge and 5G, if we can kind of adopt a zero trust uh, kind of a security model, right, uh, for the Edge clouds or private network deployment, um, that that is going to be uh, a great um, model to adapt or a framework to adapt. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, right, uh, there is a need for uh, some kind of a security framework for 5G and Edge both. Um, and I think Arthi added that there's a consortium, right? Uh, so, which is great. So that's it, what I would like to add from my, my end. Thank you, Gulant. Arthi, is there anything uh, you'd like to contribute to that? Um, 
I, I think not on that topic, but in general, I think um, I really enjoyed uh, being here today and learning a lot um, by talking to these experts as well. So I really thank you guys for organizing it and making it a worthwhile discussion for everyone. Definitely, thank you. And I hope we can have many more discussions like these in the future because they are um, critical and they're relevant now more than ever. Um, we talk about 5G, we're talking about the future, but the infrastructure um, needs to be uh, built and deployed today. So um, these are really critical discussions and we appreciate that you take the time uh, to flush them out for us. Um, and with that, I will say thank you guys once more. Thank you to our speakers, David Hochhauser, Bulant Khan, Dr. Data, and Arti Srinivasan. And we hope that you're all staying safe and healthy at home. And we look forward to hosting many more discussions like these. If you'd like to learn more about um, the work of any of our panelists today, uh, I'm going to drop their emails down below. You can also um, find more information uh, on them in the event link, um, follow them on LinkedIn, follow them on their website, uh, wherever um, they're posting their research, uh, you can keep up to date um, with, with, uh, with their work and their insights. So thank you guys uh, again once more. And um, to stay up to date on upcoming webinars, you can follow Health Security on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And you can also check out our weekly digest on Medium. Yeah. No. And Shani, thanks to Ruby as well. He's in the background, but yeah, I think he's done a lot of work. <laughs> I, was, I was about to say that. We, yeah, I mean, he, thank, thank you, Ruby, for, for getting yeah. us connected and giving this platform. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and following up, you know, it was very helpful, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Thank, thanks a lot, Ruby, Shani, and David. Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks for hosting us. And thanks to all the participants as well. I think it was a great uh, session, very informative and uh, good interaction. I, I learned a lot of things today. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, I certainly, yeah, certainly welcome this kind of uh, panels. We'll definitely yeah. help. Um, yeah. I know this is the first one, but we're just scratching the surface, as I said, sure. right? Having this kind of discussion at least stimulate uh, new ideas, new thoughts, new problems, how we can solve it, right? Definitely. Absolutely, yeah. Very good. Sure. I'm exposing how much more, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you talk, you learn more than you don't know than you know sometimes. Appreciate it. It was truly a pleasure. Yes. Next time we need, we need more questions and, and we can flush things out more. Um, so everybody have a good weekend. Thank uh, you, Shirley. Yeah. Bye, David. Thanks. Bye, Shirley. Bye, Balan. Bye, Bye, everyone.